the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to today's podcast, sponsored by Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale at Hillsdale.edu. I encourage you to take advantage of the many free online courses there. And, of course, to listen to the Hillsdale Dialogues, all of them at Q for Hillsdale.com, or just Google Apple, iTunes, and Hillsdale. Good morning, Lori. America, bonjour. Hi, Canada. Let me begin your day with some great news. Ukraine blew up a Russian oil terminal on the Black Sea last night. Ukrainian drone strike. They've been figuring this stuff out for the better part of four years. And drones are going to be a part of any future conflict in a way that we only barely glimpse. We've always thought of them of surveillance drones. No, they, they carry a punch now, which is why when we go back and listen to tape from five to seven years ago, and I was warning drone uh, Dwayne about buying backyard drones, I said, this is not a good development for warfare. Well, it's not, but I'm sure, well, I hope, that the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, the Marine Corps all have rooms that are soundproof and they're working on there on the latest drones. Because if you can blow up oil depots with a little drone, think of the asymmetrical, the, the total upending of warfare. It's still going to take infantry. Senator Cotton likes to talk about that. It's still going to take armor. Still going to take our great F-18s flying in from a carrier or F-22 flying from some base to destroy command and control of air resources and to hit key targets. But... Boy, oh boy, a drone. Little tiny. Where were you yesterday, by the way, Dwayne? I'm just checking because you're, you've been known to screw around with drones. Uh, yeah, when I had kids that were of drone flying age. So you're saying you're no longer a drone user? Nah, not really. I, I've, I've moved on to bigger and better things. I'll, I'll fly remote Not bigger. Blitz. You're on myphdweightloss.com. You can't be bigger. 864-644-1900. That's 864-644-1900. You cannot be bigger, but you've moved on to other things beside the drone. You better stay skinny, Dwayne, it'll go away. Flying People look at things, you and they not, say you lost not certain... eating bigger things. You're fly- but are you flying bigger things? I had a remote control blimp one year. I did not need to know that either. Uh, what happened to the blimp? Um, it kind of eventually lost its helium. Did it did it run into anything? Oh, that's the whole fun of a blimp. It runs well, into okay, all that's sorts what of the whole. This is the drone deal. Go read the Telegraph. They blew up this oil. You want to see a picture of something that's blown up? That's blown up. Nothing Second, that I have flown is armed. All right, myphdweightloss.com works, but Dwayne's blimp does not. Let's be clear about that. Eight six four six four four nineteen hundred. If you need to lose fifty pounds, that's the place to go now. The headlines today somewhat surprised me. Uh, they're all of the same sort. And I want to begin by showing you, if you want to know what somebody cares about, you look at their charitable donations that they make on their tax return at the end of the year. That, and, and I'm not a believer in tithing. I know a lot of people tithe. My Mormon friends tithe. Many of my Protestant friends tithe. Catholics didn't hear the word tithe until they went to a different church. They just heard the word second collection. And so, you know, we 
we give in a different way. If you're a Roman Catholic, you're a cradle Catholic. And then my Presbyterian wife says, well, of course we tithe, and here's what we do. And I'm trying to figure out what, where did this come from? And I've been doing that for 41 years because, you know, Protestants believe tithing's in the Bible, and Catholics don't. This is, I think, the reason that we'll never have a reunion of the faith until Jesus comes back. But in any event, when you look at someone's podcast library, you know who they are. I don't know what's on Dwayne's podcast library, but here's mine. All right, it begins. You, you, can you close in on that, Haley? Harley? Haley would be helpful. Haley's there, too. Be like the comet coming. Apparently not. You're getting a little bit closer, but that's as close as it gets. Okay, here's the deal. It says, number one, the podcast. It's about Ohio State football. And Doug LaMarie shows up on it every now and then. The other three guys are pretty good, like Bill Landis and the guys. They know what they're talking about. But LaMarie's only shows up, I don't know, every other week. Buckeye Talk. Cleveland.com. Global News Podcast from the BBC. Orange and Brown Talk. That's from Cleveland.com. The Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show. Then we go to Commentary Magazine Podcast. The Daily Briefing from the Times of Israel. For Heaven's Sake, which is done by Yossi Klein Halevi and uh, another fellow out of the Hartman Institute. The Verdict with Ted Cruz, except it's called Verdict with Ted Cruz. Haaretz Podcast. Call Me Back by Dan Senor, Unholy, which is um, the anchor of Channel 12 in Israel and a great writer from The Guardian who's lost his mind and everything else. Parent Data with Emily Oster. I listen to that because my daughter and my daughter's in law live to listen to this. Terry's Talking, which is my favorite podcast of the week. It's only weekly, Terry, which is about Cleveland sports by Terry Pluto and Dave Campbell. And then Civilized Barking. So I've got two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, fifteen podcasts. And yesterday, my favorite podcast of the fifteen is Terry Talking. Number two is Commentary. I listen to Commentary every day. They do it five days a week. They do it for an hour. They're smart people. Yesterday, they had Eliana Johnson sit in. She's a smart person. But normally, it's Christine Rosen, and um, we've got Seth Mandel and and John Podhortz is the big boss. And then we got Abe Greenwald, who is the executive editor, and we've got Matt Continetti, who's AEI. They're smart people. Yesterday hurt my head. They were talking like this race is over. And then I get the headlines late last night, early this morning. Trump rivals were hoping for a courtroom knockout. Time is running out. Nikki Haley, that's from the Wall Street Journal. From the USA Today, excuse me, also Wall Street Journal. Nikki Haley pushes forward with long-shot efforts to dethrone Trump in GOP race. Of course she is. She didn't win. Trump angered by Haley's boast about New Hampshire. That's in the Washington Post. From the USA Today, Nikki Haley rejects Donald Trump's calls to quit the GOP race. Does she have a chance to beat him? Then from the Financial Times, Donald Trump warns Nikki Haley billionaire backers to halt support. Well, look, I know that the former president would prefer that it be over, and I know that a lot of doom and gloom people who hate Trump want it to be over and they think he's won. But if you're actually in Switzerland, as I am, you know it's only just begun. And if I had a producer, we'd have Karen Carpenter ready to go right now. It's only just begun. And I have a column over at Fox News this morning, which I'm going to read to you in the next segment, that stresses it's only just begun. But let's pick up a little bit of Nikki Haley yesterday. At, in, but now you come up with it. Wait until the end of the segment now. Let's go to cut number two, Nikki Haley in South Carolina yesterday. 
So we got out there and we did our thing and we said what we had to say. And then Donald Trump got out there and just threw a temper tantrum. <laughs> he pitched a fit. He was, he was insulting. He was doing what he does. But I know that's what he does when he's insecure. I know that's what he does when he is threatened. And he should feel threatened, without a doubt. You know, it's interesting because a few days ago, he was going on and on about me. I mean, for a while. On and on about why I didn't send in security to the Capitol on January 6th. Now we're going to do a stump speech. Let's go to the former president who released a campaign video yesterday, cut number one. Biden has imposed the outlandish requirement that 67% of all new vehicles must be electric in less than 10 years. That means Michigan and Places that make cars, you can forget about it. You better get your union working because you can forget about it. Those cars are... Now, what did you hear there? Michigan. Why did you hear Michigan? Because there are three contests upcoming. Nevada's, which is screwed up. There's a primary in which Nikki Haley is involved, but Donald Trump isn't. And there is a caucus in which Donald Trump is involved and Nikki Haley isn't. And the delegates, I don't know, I do not understand the choice of Team Haley not to play for the delegates... But Trump's going to get the delegates, and I think Haley's going to win the primary. It'll be a mixed message. Then there is not another vote until February 24th, when South Carolina votes. And then um, Michigan votes days later on February 27th. Then there's Super Tuesday on March 5th. I, will, I listened to the commentary podcast yesterday, and they have all concluded Nikki Haley is done. She's dropping out. And I understand Senator Cornyn endorsed Donald Trump yesterday, and others will. And I understand that yesterday Leader McConnell told the conference, we're not doing the immigration bill. That's a big win. That's good. That's dead. I was very, very worried that the Republicans were going to drive the bus right over the cliff like they've done so many times before. So that's dead. They're not going to do that. And there's going to be a series of fights, and there are going to be a series of new issues arrive. Because we're down to one on one. The entire show is reframed. Now, the Republican Party may want Donald Trump. It looks like it wants Donald Trump. His lead nationally is enormous. And people, I don't meet a single Republican who doesn't think he's getting screwed by Jack Smith and Fonnie Willis in Atlanta and the knucklehead Alvin Bragg in Manhattan and the crazy judge and uh, attorney general in New York. I don't I don't know any Republican who doesn't think he's getting screwed. But the frame just changed when Nikki Haley got above 40%. She was below, just below 20% in Iowa. She got more than 40% in New Hampshire. And now we'll see, does she have room to grow? Because it's just begun. And I actually think voters take in information and decide things. If they want Donald Trump, they're going to get Donald Trump. They might want Nikki Haley. They're going to get Nikki Haley. It's not up for pundits to say it's over. It's not over. It's America. Stay tuned. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Welcome back, America. Melanie died last night. And if you are old enough to remember, I wish I could have gone to Woodstock. Much less if you're old enough to go to Woodstock. You'll know who Melanie is. She's not a one-hit wonder. I was just looking at my encyclopedia. I never played with her. I don't want people to get that impression. I never played with Melanie. 
That, that would not be true. I never played you on the Hugh Hewitt show. But she did, born to be in, in 1969, Candle in the Rain in 1971, The Good Book in 1972, Four Sides of Melanie at Carnegie Hall in 1974, Sunset and Other Beginnings in 1975, 1976, Photographs, 1978, Ballroom Streets, and then, of course, the obligatory Best of Melanie art in 1990. So she's roughly Woodstock to the end of the 80s. And she's around for a while. And Generalissimo, uh, I never played with her. Did you ever go to a Melanie concert? No, I never went to a Melanie concert. She was like the 70s version of what Edie Burkell was in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, but I, I played with... Well, never mind. I'm just pointing out, we all, dead at the age of... Of 77, Melanie, go forth. Yesterday, I, I wrote this column before I listened to the commentary podcast. And it's morning glory. Who would be the better president for our children and our grandchildren? It's over at Fox News right now. And that's the, the title. Who would be the better president for our children and our grandchildren? Many, many Republican primary voters loathe public schools. Will the GOP candidates target K-12? through when there were plenty of GOP candidates, it begins, milling around, all sorts of questions and comparisons between them arose. You know, I mean, you're comparing Chris Christie and, and Governor DeSantis one point, or you're comparing Vivek and Tim uh, Scott, or you're talking about Nikki Haley and Donald Trump. You got, and go way back to the beginning, I talked to Doug Bergen. Everybody, you can't figure out what's the frame to view this through. And my point is that after Tuesday night, Donald Trump 50, 53% and Nikki Haley 42%, something like that. It's an 11-point swing. That, okay, there are only two candidates. Now the real campaign begins. It's one-on-one. And it's a playoff. The NC2A March Madness is effectively has taught everyone about playoffs. If you don't know what the NC2A March Madness is, you're either Dwayne or you're hopeless. Carl just fills in Baylor. I've tried to teach Carl how to fill in a bracket before, and he writes in Baylor in every game. It's really tough, but Steeler fans are tough. In any event, the bracket is down to Trump and Haley. They're the final two. It's the last game of the season. And then whoever wins that goes on to play whoever. I guess it's the, it's the, it's the RNC bracket. It's the final four. It's... Donald Trump, Nikki Haley, Joe Biden, and Dean Phillip. And I think we all know that Dean Phillip is not going to win that. And I don't even know that we're not going to have a poll to kill his tendon or something for the president by the time the election comes up. But the brand new column points out, okay, we're down to the final two. Everything reframes. Now, I've got to make use of Generalissimo here. Generalissimo, um, you are a, you're a woke Disneyland supporter. Um, negative. You, you go to woke a lot. You go to Disneyland a lot. I do go to Disneyland. Right, so thank you. I have uh, no further questions. Okay. When you're there, does the park look different from the top of the Matterhorn or from the top of the Tower of Terror or from the uh, submarines? Does, does what you see depend on what, where you are in the park? Well, obviously. Well, we're talking about Sealers fans here. It's still obvious. Yes. I'm, I'm not sure about that. When you move around the park, you see different things. And at every point, you have to make a decision where to go next, right? 
yes, usually any open centimeter where there's not another human being. Yes. But so so yeah. it all depends on what you see when you come off the ride. Because if there's a blinking long ride at the Tower of Terror line, you're not going to go there. You're going to go do... You mean Guardians of the Galaxy, Grandpa? Whatever it is. Yes. I haven't been there in a while. You're, you're going to make up your mind based upon what... Grandpa has never taken grandkids to Disneyland. I did that when the youngest one was three, and I said, That's it. Done. That is a mom and you know, dad job. Grandpa can pay plaids to take the, take the kids around. Grandpa is glad to write the check. Grandpa is not doing Tower of Terror with Kate. Good thing, because it hasn't been Tower of Terror for about 15 years. That that goes to tell I'm just not doing it. But where you are and what you've done and what's in front of you changed everything. The presidential race changed. I want to go back to what I told you about earlier in the Fox News column I have today. In the case of Trump versus Haley, quote, are the kids all right? may prove dispositive for millions of voters. We've come out of the park. We were out of the, there were 20 people in the race. Then there were 10. Then there were five. Then there were two. And now everybody takes a new look at it. Now, Donald Trump picked up John Thune and John Cornyn, two big endorsements on Tuesday night after he handily won the New Hampshire primary. And there may be a rush to him. But I am in Switzerland, and I just watched the movement of the forces. I also see a lot of folks moving towards Nikki Haley because it's just flat ground now. You can see the whole map. It's one-on-one basketball. One of them shooting the ball, the other one isn't. It's one-on-one. And I'm not a Nikki Haley advisor or a Trump advisor. All I try and do is get both of them on the radio show because I like them both. They're fun to talk to. But if I was on Team Trump, I would do nothing but talk about the border from now until November. I wouldn't mention Nikki Haley. I would talk about the wall. I would talk about what you did, what you will do, who's going to be your DHS secretary. I would name a vice president. I would name a secretary of defense. I would use the list. I've written that. If I'm Nikki Haley, every day I talk about are the kids all right? That's what I talk about every day. Because disappointment with public education and especially with DEI kudzu, which is growing everywhere, is essential to many, many voters. So now you are out shopping for saliency constituencies. My term. If you ask everyone for what their opinion is, hey, Generalissimo, um, prove me a point, William. Yeah, are you available to I'm illustrate? Here. All right. Um, what do you think is the most important part of the triad? Uh, the subs. Thank you. And so that will upset the people who make B-21s and the people who make the replacement for the Minuteman, but it will make the Navy people happy. It's, uh, but and it's so, just objectively true. Yeah, objectively true, but, but you also have voters who vote on the basis of the triad. Not many, but you have some voters who vote on the basis of the triad. Uh, are you pro-life? Yes. Okay, now, Nikki Haley and Donald Trump are in the same place on pro-life, so they're not going to divide it up. Um, do you think K through 12 education is working just gloriously? Uh, I have a, a, my spouse, my wife is a fifth grade teacher. No, it's not. And so does it motivate parents? Uh, it absolutely does. It motivated them in Virginia in, in 22 with Glenn Youngkin. Yeah. So what we are now about is which of the two candidates, Trump and Haley, can touch more hot buttons and persuade more interest groups 
and it's okay to be an interest group. Like the Catholic Church is an interest group. I don't know where the Catholics are on the Trump v. Haley thing, but they are, they will attempt to dial in the campaign, as I am dialing in on this camp on this column over at Fox. Where are the parents? Now we don't have a cross tab on parents up in North Carolina, but I'd like to know how people who voted of kids in college, kids in high school, and kids in K through eight, because Republicans. I'm reading from Gallup here. Republicans generally and independents as well are not favorably disposed to public education. 36% of that group, Republicans and independents, think highly of public education. 36%. So Trump does not ever not, how did I phrase that that way? Trump always talks about boys playing girls sports. Always. It's a 90% issue. And Nikki Haley also talks about it, but not as often as Trump. It's going to be difficult for someone who's motivated by that issue to to choose. I think the primary is going to be largely decided by suburban parents. I I, I long believe that. But it it, absolutely will in the general. It just depends. And some people are going to vote on the border and they're going to be for Trump. And but that's I'm a hot saying button is with suburban parents too. Everyone, my, my whole point isn't what what the issue set is, is that people vote differently when it's a binary choice. And now there's a binary choice, and they're going to spend between now and February 24th in South Carolina and February 27th in Michigan appealing to different constituencies. And I know what the general numbers were, and I know that Trump is ahead by 60%, like nationally. But I also know that it's all different. And I just wish people would realize voters are pretty smart. This is this is not we're done with Dwayne Harley and go away. People don't want to look at Dwayne. They want to look at me. Um, all that people want is their issue to be talked about by candidates. Number one thing I've learned after 40 years of doing this, people listen for their issue and everybody's got a different issue. It's called saliency. How high up is it for me? The national defense is number one. And how much are you going to spend? What are you going to buy? Where are you going to buy it? How are you going to get those subs in the water? How are we going to keep the Chicoms from deciding our economy's gone to hell, so we'll just take what we need? How are we going to beat Hamas? How are we going to protect Israel? How are we going to help Israel? How are we going to keep NATO together? How are we going to turn back Putin's assault on Ukraine? This is for me, number one. Other people don't care or even know about that. Their number one issue is where do the Steelers draft? And I don't think the candidates are going after that vote. And so a lot of people vote for a lot of different reasons. And it just, it's a reset. So I listened to commentary, and there are five smart people. Eliana was sitting in for Christine yesterday. And they are basically saying it's over. And I know that Trump wants Haley out. And I know that a couple of Haley's funders said, I'm not going to put any more money in. But she's got plenty of money and plenty of media if she shows up everywhere. Now, I've got a standing invitation. I don't know why Governor Haley isn't talking to you right now. And I don't know why Donald Trump is not talking to you today. They got an open invitation. To me, if you're running and you have 30 days, and today is the 26th, so you have 31 days, counting the 27th, to win two primaries or or finish well, South Carolina and Michigan. They're back-to-back. The South Carolina result will not affect Michigan much. But go and vote. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. 
There is a huge battle going on in the Gaza Strip city of Khan Yunus. I'll keep you posted on that throughout the day. We're expecting Dr. Oren, but sometimes when the rockets go off, that doesn't happen. They have rocket alerts right now. Being reported this morning that Mitch McConnell has told the GOP Senate caucus there isn't going to be an immigration deal. Forget it. That's good news. The one that was taking for uh, taking form had no fence in it, no wall. Uh, that would have been Thelma and Louise time for the Republican Party in the Senate. McConnell is the best Senate leader we've ever had. He reads this correctly. He knows that the nominee is likely to be Donald Trump. He knows that Donald Trump does not like the bill. He's not going to campaign against the leading person. He also didn't come out and endorse Trump. John Thune did. John Cornyn did. But not um, Mitch McConnell. And Deb Fisher did, but not Mitch McConnell. And people who are with uh, Susan Collins did not endorse Trump. The, the conference is split over Trump-Haley. And when it's split, you can't do something that either of the two potential nominees would hate. You just can't. It's politics 101. And if the Democrats want an immigration bill, they've got to build the wall. It's that simple. I go back to my column at Fox News. Parents generally like the schools that their own children attend. That's actually proven. Parents, if you ask a parent, how is your school? That parent, it's a, it's a great. But I'm reading from the column here. If COVID had a blast zone, public education was near its center, right next to CDC and FDA. The former president or the former U.N. ambassador and South Carolina governor are well advised to focus like a laser on education and what works for voters' children, no matter which way they are leaning. The former president rarely fails to blast the idea of boys playing in girls' sports. Usually a huge applause line. I'm off air here now. I'm not reading the column. It's a 90% issue. It's a 95% issue. It might be a 99% issue that girls K-12 through should not have to play against boys. And it's probably a 90% issue that young women in college should not have to play against young men who have transitioned. Huge issue. Trump always talks about it. But is that an issue that will drive a whole bunch of people in the voting booth? No. It will drive some people, like Riley Gaines, it's going to be number one. That's Riley Gaines' issue. But for most parents, no. They're going to vote, usually, price of gas and groceries, their economic stability, their optimism about the country, and then they're going to vote about education. And they're going to wonder, what in the world is going on? Some people are going to vote against the homeless guys living across the street from them and social services won't do anything. But many, many people are going to be driven by what is in the best interest of my children and my grandchildren. That the older they get, the more they think, who is better for my children or their grandchildren? Now, they might conclude Trump or they might conclude Haley. But the point is, the issue set changed when it got down to two because everyone's got to know where those two are on all the different issues. If you're a pro-life voter, I don't know who you're voting for. Uh, in fact, that's a good question. 1-800-520-1234. If you're, if you're a voter for whom life is the number one issue post-Dobbs, you love Dobbs, you love the Trump appointees to the court, and you've listened to Nikki Haley and you've listened to Donald Trump talk about abortion in the year since Dobbs, if you're an abortion number one and only number one, who do you vote for? 
if you're a gun person, and your Second Amendment rights are your number one person, that's the salient issue for you. Who do you vote for? My point is, up until Tuesday, there were many people and many different issues and a tough time sorting it out. And a lot of people like Trump because Trump is getting screwed by the administrative state. They believe, like me, that the Manhattan indictment is nonsense. The Atlanta indictment is nonsense. Jack Smith indictments in D.C. are crazy. They're such an overreach. And it is unprecedented what the National Archives and Record Administration did in Mar-a-Lago, seizing his boxes. It is a double standard. They did not do that to Joe Biden for 20 years. And we haven't heard anything from Bob Herr, Joe Biden's special counsel. We got Jack Smith in courtrooms every day. And I have not heard the president's defense. I've heard one of them, which is I can move everything. And I think the defense is coming as well that, hey, uh, I would have worked this out with NARA just like, and they're going to call every single person at the National Archives and Record Administration, beginning with David Ferriero. And they may call me because I had arguments with National Archives and Record Administration the last three years over Nixon records. There isn't, there isn't going to be one person that's going to tell you that NARA is fair and objective. They're left-wing loons. Nice people, good archivists, left-wingers. And we're going to find out that this was all manufactured once it begins. So I don't know that he's going to be convicted of anything by the fall. And if he is, I don't think it's going to stand up in D.C. It's certainly not going to stand up in in Manhattan. It may not come to trial in Atlanta. So, no, I, I think the more that they go after Trump, the more some of his people coalesce. But parents and grandparents are going to vote the future of their children and grandchildren first. And that's going to mix up the omelet. Still going to be an omelet, different ingredients. Stay tuned for more ingredient menus when we return to the Hugh Hewitt Show. Stay with us. I'm live, joined by Noah Rothman, senior writer for National Review. Good morning, Noah. Good morning, Hugh. Good to see you. Good to see you. Yesterday, I listened late to the commentary podcast. And all of them are resigned to Donald Trump being the nominee. And I say resigned because they don't like him. I'm in Switzerland. I'm going to vote for whoever the Republican nominee is. But I also don't think it's over. In fact, I think it's reframed and, and anything could happen because Nikki attracts a different sort of voter than Trump does. What do you think? I mean, that's right. She does attract a different sort of voter. The problem is a lot of those voters just aren't Republicans. If we learned anything from Iowa and New Hampshire, Donald Trump owns registered Republicans. He particularly owns non-college voters, which make up a healthy portion of the Republican primary electorate. That's a big problem for Nikki Haley. We don't have any polling out of South Carolina since the voting started. So you don't want to prejudge that electorate necessarily. But that electorate is made up of a lot of those voters. I would be very surprised to see if the momentum she's gained out of these first two contests translates into anything like closing that deficit, which we ahead of Iowa was something like 30 points in Trump's favor. What age were you in 1976, Noah? I was to be born. Okay, you were not uh, yet born. Good, 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 good. In 1976, which was my first presidential campaign, Jerry Ford beat Ronald Reagan by 1% in New Hampshire. And then he won a couple more. Then North Carolina came along, I mean, four or five contest into it and Reagan won. And then all of a sudden we were off to the races. We actually got to a convention that was somewhat in doubt. It was so close that Ronald Reagan named Richard Swiker as his running mate, a liberal from Pennsylvania, stupid move, by the way, and didn't get him over the top. And so Ford was the nominee. 
I think uh, that Donald Trump is very much like Jerry Ford, an incumbent or a quasi-incumbent. Very hard to beat, but I all think it's possible. I don't think it's impossible at all. Why is everyone in a hurry for it to be over? Well, it just it would be very weird for a nominee in the modern primary situ- system, which you know, it was that way in 76, but it was still very nascent uh, to win Iowa and New Hampshire and not go on to win the nomination. We really haven't just seen that in the modern era. And it, there's the mechanics of fundraising here that are probably going to be the biggest the biggest X factor, whether Nikki Haley can raise enough to stay in the race. Now, she's taking on a tactic that is very interesting. I'll grant you that. She's decided to stay in the race, and she's decided to become very aggressive towards the nominee. Mirabile Vizu, we haven't seen that from anybody going after Donald Trump at all. But in doing so, she's attracting a lot of apparently new donors. She got about it, she says, she got a million dollars out of her uh, concession speech, concession speech slash baiting speech on New Hampshire on New Hampshire primary night. That could keep her in the race for some time, but I wonder if the news cycle is going to get away from her, which would sap those small-dollar donors. What's happening on the border right now has the potential to attract attention from Republican voters away from this primary race as it fades and focus more on the general election and Donald Trump as that's his signature issue. Now, Donald Trump has to play along. So far, I am he's surprised not. by two so things, far, Noah. he's taking all the bait. I, I'm surprised by two things. Number one, that she did not go to the border on the day after New Hampshire. She went to South Carolina and did a rally, and I understand that. But I sure would be down at Eagles Pass, and I would live down there because I think it's probably of the saliency issue. It's probably number one. Number two is public education. And then I would talk consistently about public education. The second thing, I'm she's not on the show today. She wasn't on yesterday. The invitation is standing. I think she has to do every show every day that will invite her, don't you? Absolutely. Absolutely. She owes her campaign to these big moments that she engineered on the debate stage and on the trail, mostly on the debate stage. And that is what get her got her momentum, got her attention. And I don't but I don't know if the press wants to play along. Have you seen how the Associated Press, how the Washington uh, Times has characterized Nikki Haley's speech? They said she declared victory. She didn't declare victory. She explicitly conceded the race and congratulated Donald Trump on his on on his victory. It's like it's neuro linguistic programming from Donald Trump without actually the conditioning. They just simply adopted it right away. Why? Because they want the primary to be over. They want to go after Trump right now. Well, Everybody the reason to. I think Republicans- I, I think the reason they did that is because Donald Trump gave a very, very again, tactically, you can't beat Trump's intuition. He attacked her for that and created a storyline on the night of the election. Yeah, but it's wrong. Why? It might be wrong, but it's it worked. Wrong. It worked. It's absolute abdication of the press's responsibility. If your impression from that night was Nikki Haley created, you know, declared victory, that's false. And that's it's false. the obligation of reporters to correct that impression. They're not doing it. Uh, but but, but this, this is not all. the Queen's of Mark, Queen of Marbury. What are the what, what are the rules, the Queen's rules for fighting? Uh, these uh, are not right. those. Uh, Marquis. Yeah. Marquis of, of something or other rules. Uh, Marquis of, of Queensbury. There you go. Takes the village. Uh, we don't. That's not how we play this game. We play this game. My goodness, like she's running away to the forum, minus the blood. And so this game has just gotten begun. And I think Team Haley's made a couple of mistakes, but they they got thirty days till South Carolina. And you pointed out something: we don't have any polling out of South Carolina, do we? Not since the voting started. And Nikki Haley has decided that her role is going to be to expose Donald Trump's general election li- liabilities at long last. 
She went after him on that debate stage after declaring, you know, I lost. Congratulations, Donald Trump, saying he has an abominable electoral record. He gets confused very often. He's saying things that don't make a lot of sense. Oh, and also, he won't debate me, that coward. And she goes on to talk then about schools, her record as governor, her foreign policy experience. She's making a new pitch because it's not, I used the analogy earlier. Noah, you ever been to Disney World or Disneyland? I've not. When you come off of a ride, you have to make a strategic choice where to go next because all the other rides have got long lines. And your world changes based upon you just did uh, Thunder Run. You're not going to go back in line and do Thunder Run again. You're going to go to a different ride. And so she's got Rick Wiley, very smart guy, senior strategist, pretty good team. Her comms team drives me a little bit crazy. but uh, And she's got some money. I'm just, I'm just not in favor of shutting it down. Look, it's not up to us. It's up to the Republican voters. Uh, so far, we've seen Republican voters have very little interest or enthusiasm for a primary year. They want Donald Trump. They want to give Donald Trump another shot. Maybe that changes because she appeals to the head. She says, listen, you guys are making a rash decision here. And we've seen some some people, for example, on Fox News and in the primetime and definitely on the trail. We've seen some Republicans begin to say, well, it's, it's early. It's not early. It is not early. The first two contests are Donald Trump's, which is not it's it would be ahistorical for Donald Trump to lose the nomination after having achieved that. So However, in a nutshell, I think the message is going to be he can't win. I can win. The GOP must win. Isn't that it? He can't win. I can win. The GOP must win. Here's another thing. I don't know if you saw this last night. Donald Trump threatened donors. Yeah. Said if you if you contribute, if you contribute to Nikki Haley's campaign, you are blacklisted from MAGA world. Nikki Haley responded very cleverly and said, oh, you know what? I'm going to fundraise off that. And what did she do? She dropped in a link to WinRed. What is WinRed? WinRed is the Republican National Committee endorsed fundraising portal. It goes to all the candidates. It is their primary method of fundraising for the whole party. She's saying you're going to challenge You're going to say you're going to boycott me. Are you going to boycott the Republican Party's financial portal? And guess what? MAGA might. Well, they might. not party people. Donald Trump is the overwhelming choice of Republicans right now. That can change in a day. My only point, Noah, is I think it's really silly for people to say this is over, even though he is significantly ahead. He's won two in a row. He is the prohibitive favorite in betting. But I just don't see any. There is no upside for Nikki Haley to go away. Did you notice who endorsed Trump the day after New Hampshire? John Cornyn and John Thune. What do they have in common? They want to be the next Mitch McConnell. May it be a long way away. They both want to be the leader of the Republican caucus. Why did they both endorse on the day after New Hampshire? They want the very pro-Trump side of their Senate caucus, which includes J.D. Vance and Josh Haley and Ted Cruz and, and Tom Cotton, who endorsed Donald Trump. They want their votes when it comes time for leader. So that explains that to me. Susan Collins does not care. And she said, I'm not endorsing him. Everything is driven by self-interest in politics, and I, I just think the parent's self-interest is going to well, drive this, why this fundraising. That's why this fundraising thing, this fundraising um, threat is very interesting, because it presents Republicans with a, with a binary choice, Donald Trump or the integrity of the party. Now, that choice has been before them before, and they've made the choice for Trump at the expense of the party's electoral viability. Will they make it again? I, I, I get I reject so that framing. No, I, I don't think voters walk in and say 
integrity of the party or don't. I think they walk. Oh, that's they, who's best for my kids? People like oh, yeah. I mean, there's an elected political class that operate that way. But most people vote their self-interest. Their self-interest is usually driven by their children and their grandchildren. I haven't seen Nikki Haley talk much about that yet. Donald Trump talks about it every night when he talks about boys not playing girl sports. Watch that space. Noah C. Rothman, National Review. Follow him on X at Noah C. Rothman. I'll be right back, America. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Thanks so much for listening to The Hugh Hewitt Show. I, uh, I'm joined by Jim Talent, former senator from Missouri. You follow him on Twitter at Jim Talent. He's with the Bipartisan Policy Center. Jim, yesterday I listened to a lot of commentary after the New Hampshire primary saying that, that it's over. John Cornyn and John Thune endorsed Donald Trump. Nikki Haley's funders are backing out. I just think that's very premature. What do you think? Well, I suspect that, that Donald Trump's going to win. I mean, it looks like he's going to win, but I don't think it's over. And look, you, um, when when we haven't had a Republican incumbent, when have the Republican primaries not gone into the spring? I mean, they did in 2008. They did in 2012. They did in 2016. And I suspect they're going to go longer here. And we'll see how Haley, uh, how Nikki can do uh, in, in Super Tuesday when we move south. I don't see anything wrong with that. The key, the I point out in 1976, we did have an incumbent president, Jerry Ford, and that went to the convention. Ronald Reagan got beat by yep. one point in New Hampshire, and then he won in, New, in North Carolina, which sort of revived his campaign. But it became a very different lens through which to view the election. It was always a two-person race. But now I, I think Donald Trump's going to be the nominee. If I had to make any bet, I would bet all of it on Donald Trump. But I don't think it's over because yeah. stuff happens. Well, that's true. The key is when it is over that we then focus as a movement on the message. And you've talked about it, and you're absolutely right. The message is how bad things are under Biden and how good things were under Donald Trump. If he's the nominee, it'll you know he can claim credit. But if he's not the nominee, then it's his policies, which is what were. And that's what we have to focus on. We have to focus on winning you. I mean, one of my concerns about the movement is that it's so easy to slip from wanting to win to focusing on, well, we'll complain about the Democrats if we lose. No, the object here is to win. And we're going to win by focusing uh, because the American people care about the border. They care about crime, education. They care about inflation. We focus on those issues and we do the contrast. Now, yesterday, news was reported, I have not confirmed by Larry McConnell, that he told the conference lunch, we're not doing immigration reform. Thank you, Jim Lankford. Thank you, Tom Tillis. You guys did a great job. We're not doing it. It's done. Is that what you've heard? No, I haven't heard that. Uh, although I confess, I think I said this last week, I, I, I don't understand why this has gone the way it's gone. I mean, look. The president wants a consent agreement in the Senate so we can bring up Ukraine aid and Israeli aid. We want a consent agreement from Schumer so that we can offer our amendments on the border to that bill. I don't know why we're negotiating over what the language of the amendments will be. We don't need to negotiate with them about that. They were doing a jam down on the House. Uh, Leader McConnell wants Ukraine funding. So do you. So do I. Uh, He wants funding for Taiwan. So do you. So do I. He wants funding for Israel. So do you. And so do I. And I want a wall. He does not. And so it's not going to get through the House because the House wants a wall. 
So you just say to the Democrats, do you want your bill or don't you? I mean, I, I don't think this is complicated. Right. But again, why can't the Senate actually debate and legislate? All we should be looking for is the ability to offer these amendments, to debate them and vote on them. And I'll tell you, if they debate amendments on the border, whether it's the wall, whether it's reforming the parole system, regardless of what it is, those amendments are going to carry. Okay, the Democrats problem is they can't defeat the amendments. So all we should want to do is get the permission, a consent agreement to offer the amendments. That's exactly correct, because John Tester can't vote no on the wall. Bob Casey can't vote no on the wall. Uh, Whoever is running in West Virginia can't vote no on the wall. And it's uh, uh, whoever is running anywhere can't vote no on the wall. Every single Democratic incumbent cannot vote no on the wall because it's a 90-10 issue. Why do we have to have a deal on everything before we bring it up? The deal is you're going to give us a consent agreement. You're not going to object when we re- when we offer the amendments and then let the Senate work its will. If yeah. the Senate defeats the amendments, then I would go ahead and vote for the bill with the underlying aid. But I want the right. I would want the right to offer the amendments. I, I agree with you. Let me turn to uh, an interesting bit of news that not many people noted on the day after on the night of New Hampshire. Donald Trump was endorsed by John Thune and John Cornyn. Now, I have no dog in that hunt, neither do you, but they're both looking two, four, six years down the road after when Leader McConnell decides to hang up the gavel. He's been the longest serving leader of either party in both chambers forever. Do you think that is about that race or is it about Trump Haley? Well, I think it's probably a little bit about the race for leader, but I really think most people, first of all, we we don't know when, uh, Senator McConnell is going to retire as leader, uh, and and in the second and that vote will be mostly on how Republican senators feel like uh, the candidate is going to manage the conference. I suspect. Look, they're leaders in the party, and one of the things you do when you're a leader in the party is you endorse at a time when you think it's in the interest of the party to unify. And I suspect that's why they did what they did. Interesting. We will be back on that subject. Jim Talent at the Bipartisan Policy Center. Thank you. Follow Jim on X at Jim Talent. Very easy to do at Jim Talent on X, the site formerly known as Twitter. And come right back. I'm going to be joined by Mary Kissel, one of the smartest people in the world on the Chinese Communist Party, uh, former senior advisor to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. And we're going to talk about China and this election. Stay tuned. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Mary Kissel is Senior Policy Advisor at Stevens. She's a veteran of the Trump administration. She was Senior Policy Advisor to Mike Pompeo. She is now Chair of the Nixon Seminar. And our friend, Mary, good morning. How are you? Hey, it's great to be with you, Hugh. I'm, I'm doing just fine. How are you? 
Good. I read your um, newsletter and people who are clients of Stevens get your newsletter or friends of Mary get your newsletter. And you took the position I did, which is American politics is funny. There is no winner yet, though. Donald Trump is the prohibitive favorite. Uh, do you think the Chinese have decided Donald Trump is the favorite or are they watching closely? You know, it, it's it's funny. Um, I hear a lot of commentary about what Beijing may or may not want. But we, there is one thing that we know for sure is that they don't want someone who insists on fairness and reciprocity in the relationship that imposes consequences when they behave badly. Um, and of, of the three, two out of the three would do that, uh, Trump and Haley. Biden clearly has not. And will not. I do not believe. In fact, would you summarize Joe Biden's policy towards China since at least the meeting in San Francisco? Well, I think it's unfortunately slid back uh, towards a very dovish policy, one of appeasement. It's based on strategic dialogue in the hope that somehow their behavior will change if we speak nicely to him. But I'll tell you what, Hugh, my, my clients get the joke. Um, capital has fled China at an incredible pace. Hong Kong Stock Exchange is one of the worst performing exchanges this year. Um, when you don't have a rule of law, when your people can't operate safely in country um, when they're taking your intellectual property, you know, we, we now get the joke. And so uh, many companies, large, uh, medium and small, are getting out as well as the sort of hot money investors. And that's a good thing. I think that's a permanent change in behavior. I don't think that's going to be reversed. And I think the bipartisanship in Congress still remains. And so what I'm telling people is, look, I'm going to tell you how to run your business, but uh, the risk profile in China is not going to change. And so you're either going to reduce risk now or you're going to be forced to do it later. Before I go back to your newsletter, I want to read something from John Ellis in his news items this morning. China's $6 trillion stock market route reveals a painful truth for President Xi Jinping's government. People are hopelessly gloomy about the outlook for the world's second largest economy, and their pessimism is becoming increasingly hard to ignore. This month's heavy sell-off in China's benchmark CSI 300 index, brings this plunge to a brutal 40% over the past three years. How come nobody knows this, Mary Kissel? Well, because the average U.S. retail investor can't invest in the mainland Chinese stock markets. There are quotas uh, that were set up by Beijing many decades ago, and they're doled out to certain uh, banks that are in favor, and then those banks can then offer uh, that access to their clients. Um, recall, too, Hugh, this, this isn't a normal stock market. Um, there aren't uh, independent uh, third-party monitors or free press investment newsletters there, and Chinese people cannot put their money wherever they want to put it. They're very limited. Uh, they can put it in property or they can put it in what is basically a casino, which is the mainland stock market. So Xi Jinping has made this all worse um, by taking state control over some of their more innovative industries, uh, tech and, and, and other major industries, industries. But you can't really compare the mainland Chinese stock market to the New York Stock Exchange. It's two very different things. They've had a rolling collapse. Forty percent in three years is a huge write down. How come we haven't felt that in the United States where our market is doing well? Are people pulling their money out of China and putting it into the Dow Jones and the NASDAQ? Yeah, well, there are a couple of factors there. The first is the, the massive monetary stimulus that the Fed engaged in, just pumping money into our economy. And the second is the massive fiscal expansion that the Biden administration and the Trump administration to some degree embarked upon post-COVID. 
And so our consumer has just kept spending and now they're spending on credit cards and that's keeping the economy afloat. The other issue, as you kind of allude to, Hugh, is that we're kind of the best of the worst. Um, you, you don't want to put money in China anymore. Europe, it's on its knees. They had a massive inflationary shock to the degree that we did not have because we're not dependent on Russian energy. They're now getting over that a bit, but they're no growth engine. And so by default, we are the place that people are coming to to invest their money. And that's lucky, but it would be a heck of a lot better, Hugh, if we could uh, improve the investment environment, take the SEC off the backs of companies. Gary Gensler has just gone on a jihad uh, against capital formation. Um, remove the CFPB from, from the equation as just somebody that uh, really legislates by litigation. Get rid of all of this stuff and let Americans do what they're best at, which is, you know, innovate, uh, experiment, fail, get up, try again. That's our system. Uh, we're very, very good at We're an incredibly dynamic economy, but we could be a lot more dynamic. Um, you could see lower inflation, more jobs and better growth with a better policy profile. And that's really the debate that we're going to have in the presidential election is what policy basket do we want? What future do we want? That's what we're really debating. You point out in your newsletter, Mary, that former President Trump is campaigning on a 10 percent tariff on everything from everywhere. Ambassador Haley has not articulated a tariff policy yet. I just finished interviewing yesterday. Carl Rowe was in town and I did the Q&A and I read his book, The Triumph of William McKinley, back in the days when the Republican Party was the pro-tariff party. That changed under Reagan. It changed under the last 20 years. Do you see it changing back to being pro-tariff? You know, it, it's amazing that we're having this debate, although I think it's a very necessary debate. What President Trump realized in his first term is that he needed a big stick to get Beijing to come to the table and change its behavior. And that was tariffs. And the Biden administration uh, kept those tariffs in place. The second realization was that uh, manufacturing in America had been hollowed out. There are a lot of people suffering. And so how do you fix that? How do you attract capital back to the U.S.? How do you get manufacturing you know, of the type that we used to do um, back so that we're not dependent on our enemies? And so that was another reason given um, for those tariffs. Stop the foreign goods from coming in so that companies are forced to make it here. The, the, the challenge with that, the problem with that, is that it's a 10 percent tax on everything. And it's not the same world that we lived in 100 years ago. Uh, things are much more globalized. And I don't mean just from China, but also from friends, like, for instance, Mexico and Canada and the European Union. And so there's a great intellectual debate going on within the Republican Party about, hey, how do we do this? Uh, do we give handouts to companies? Um, you know, the, the Trump administration, we in the State Department did that for certain semiconductor companies to, to bring them to make fabs in Arizona, cost a lot of money. Um, I, I, I don't like that. I don't like government handouts. I think they're often wasteful and misdirected. But that was what we chose to do because we felt like it was an emergency. Is there a better way to do it? Is there a suite of tax incentives or other measures that states or the federal government could take or even private companies in concert with each other, right, to come and to bring that manufacturing back? And so it's a complex question, uh, Hugh. I don't think it's about, hey, are tariffs good, tariffs bad? I was taught that tariffs were bad because they're a tax. But on the other hand, we're living in a world where we outsource our manufacturing to an enemy. So now we need to reconfigure these supply chains in our thinking. It's a very, very tough question. Oh, and I'm much older than you. And I, I grew up in free trade heaven, right? Ronald Reagan was free trade heaven. And we wanted no tariffs. 
But then I read the road book on McKinley and McKinley campaigned on tariffs protecting working people and that if you had a tariff, you would build a factory in the United States. It's an interesting dilemma. I do not know that Nikki Haley is going to engage on this. The president has. If they did, who would who ought they to talk to in terms of making a tariff policy smart for the 21st century? Because the 10 percent tariff on everything hits friends like Israel and enemies like China. It's it's a blunt instrument. Yeah, it is a blunt instrument, and, and it's also a tax on those poor Americans, because let's recall, it's not just the elites in America that buy imported goods. It's a lot of poor and working class Americans who are shopping at you know Walmart, because that's where the goods come from. So we should be very clear about that. I also, Hugh, would stop maybe focusing only on the punitive measures and focus on the positive measures that we can take. I mean, look at the examples of Hong Kong and Singapore in the 70s and the 80s, when they unilaterally... Um, dropped their uh, trade restrictions when they, they imposed an incredibly efficient tax regime. It was a flat tax in Hong Kong. You paid it once a year. Um, everybody paid it. Um, but it also attracted a lot of capital in that developed what essentially is a pile of rocks in the South China Sea to one of the most uh, uh, you know, richest and prosperous places in the world. And so I, I think it needs to be a fuller, more nuanced and comprehensive debate. Nikki Haley has talked about trade with friends. President Trump has talked about that, too. Who would I ask? I'd, my first trip, I'd go to Britain, Australia, Canada, Mexico, our neighbors, and say, hey, guys, uh, what can we do together? I mean, Britain is, what, the fifth largest economy in the world? It's a powerhouse. It might ge- geographically be a small place. But there's a lot that we can do together, and we're complementary economies. Mary Mary Kissel is senior policy advisor at Stevens. Follow her on X at Mary Kissel. Very easy to do. And I appreciate getting your newsletter, Mary. Thank you so much. I'll be right back, America. Stay tuned. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt, Josh Kroshauer with a Jewish insider and the man about town in D.C. Josh, I've read a number of reports that the immigration deal is dead, dead, dead. And Leader McConnell told the conference that yesterday. Can you confirm that? Yes, that's what I have heard as well. And it's sort of a, sort of the obvious political reality in, in Washington, especially when you look at the Republican Party. Uh, first of all, number one, the issue of immigration has one that's bedeviled Congress going back to the Bush administration um, and is dividing the Republican Party even in terms you know, certainly dividing Democrats. So um, the notion that you could kind of jam this into also a foreign aid funding bill and get it done and have the bipartisan support it needed was always sort of a long shot. And now that McConnell made, it, made his comments, uh, Paul reported some, some of the extensive comments today, uh, it, it really does signal that not only is it immigrant, some bipartisan border deal looking very, very unlikely, but also aid to Ukraine is looking like it's on life support. Well, and aid to Israel and aid to Taiwan because the Democrats won't build the wall. It is that simple. The Republicans asked for the wall. The Democrats said no. And the bill was dead. Uh, is there is there no benefit to explaining that to people? Well, look, I think if it was just the Senate, it was up to the Senate. There would be a bipartisan deal between Republicans and Democrats. But the House is, 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 has a different view. They, they had different provisions, more tougher provisions uh, in, in the House Republicans uh, view. And, and that's one of those areas that's just been very, very difficult to reconcile. I, it's I think it's there's, just there's the wall. I, I do not understand Republicans. May, I understand Democrats not wanting the wall, but I would certainly focus on that and draw a circle around it. Josh, I want to ask you about the Republican primary. 
I don't think it's over. I think Donald Trump has got like a nine to one favorite here uh, or, or five to six favorite. But it's not over because campaigns change as the frame change. What do you think? Well, it's not over because Nikki Haley is still in the race and campaigning for the next few weeks up until the South Carolina primaries, which happens to be her her home state. Uh, the reality, though, is that she didn't get what she needed out of the Iowa caucuses and the New Hampshire primary to really kind of get the momentum um, to, to push ahead into South Carolina. So, look, she, she I think she beat expectations. She came within 11 points of Donald Trump. She won over independence. Uh, she won sort of the suburban Republican areas that used to be sort of Bush strongholds and had um, more blue in, in recent years. But that look, when you lose 50 points, when you lose among New Hampshire Republicans to Trump by 50 points, according to the exits, it's a hard it's hard to see where the, the winning formula is going forward on the political map. It's going to be Michigan, probably. But in South Carolina, she has to keep it close. I'm on in Charleston in Savannah and Myrtle Beach and Hilton Head and Greenville. I'm on all throughout the Palmetto State. Do you think Nikki Haley is going to focus everything there or is she going to focus everything on Michigan? Well, I think South Carolina comes first. I mean, it's, it's she needs to uh, win her home state or at least come really, really close and and then move forward to Super Tuesday states and, or Michigan and, and then and then the, the big batch of Super Tuesday states. Um, so, yeah, I think you already seen two ad two new ads that the Haley campaign has put up in South Carolina. She held a rally in North Charleston last night, uh, really going after Trump in a way we haven't seen um, since, since since she launched her campaign, maybe in shades of her, her speech uh, on tu- on Tuesday night. Uh, but look, it, the polls show that she's look, I, I think she can make some, make up some ground. I, I think a lot of the polls can be misleading. And now that she's in the race, she's spending money. Everyone knows G- Governor Haley. She she has pretty solid approval ratings in her home state. But it's tough when you have Tim Scott. It's tough when you have almost all the elected officials in South Carolina going with Trump and you have Ron McDaniel kind of trying to wrap up this nomination process sooner rather than later. It's doubly tough, Josh, when your comms team doesn't return emails from talk radio. I really cannot understand. It may be Tim Scott's was the same way. I do not know what consultants tell them, but they don't do talk radio. I mean, it's like mainlining into your voting, but she won't do it. She did my show on Monday, and that's the first time in months. What What is that strategy? Do you know? Well, so that's a great point, Hugh, in that the one when I was in New Hampshire and I talked to a lot of Republicans who like Nikki Haley, the one concern they had is that she didn't do as she didn't have as many kind of unscripted moments. She didn't do as many interviews with with the press. She didn't do as many town halls as a lot of New Hampshire Republican voters expect. She didn't do the debate that was originally scheduled against Ron DeSantis. Now, I think she's very good. Uh, We saw during the debates writ large, like she was a very good, very good performer. Um, she's very good, she, you know, as a as as being adept on the policy issues that that you and I would be talking about. But she's just very cautious, huge, very cautious. She has kind of her set lines, and she doesn't want to stray too far from from her her her. her God mother. forbid she makes some news. I I really do not understand it, Josh. I never will. Last quick question uh, on the Jewish insiders: Has Netanyahu polarized Israel again, or is that just English language media carrying on their own vendetta against Netanyahu? Look, he, 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 yes. I mean, he, I think most of, of the Israeli public wants to see the war won, but there's a worry that because of Netanyahu's low, lowered political standing, that he's kind of playing partisanship and accentuating his divisions, which are not really that significant with the United States. I think he's trying to play that up in order to help his base or help, help secure his right, rightward coalition 
uh, back home. But there, there's a lot of a lot of dissatisfaction, and and it, it's been muted because of the war. But I think that's going to come to the forefront. In the last ten days, it started to break apart. Unity started to break apart, and I always look to Josh Crosshauer to chronicle that. Follow Josh on X. Follow me to Tomorrow America. Stand this great station. I'll be back tomorrow. Thank you, Harley. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, General Lissimo. Thanks to the folks of the Salem News Channel and all of my affiliates across the United States. Stay tuned. I'll be right back tomorrow on the next Hugh Hewitt Show. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.